Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. Mark, the ninth chapter, and you'll also find it in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Humanity had risen from the dead. Here ends our reading. This week, I have been present to people who want to make a difference, who want to bring about a more peaceable kingdom, to use religious terms. And I have also been painfully aware of their sorrow at coming up short. These have been people who work in varying levels of governmental and non-governmental agencies, colleagues of mine. They have been mothers and neighbors, bright-eyed young adults intent on having careers of purpose, people who have retired and who are reimagining what the next chapters of their life might entail. They have been people who have since died and whose efforts are now being retold. And it has been present in my own life and work this week. Each Monday, I transition from life as a minister of a church to the world of working to end domestic violence and to empower those who have been made to live small as a result of someone they love and who purportedly who loves them choosing to be violent, thereby exerting power and control over them. As time has gone on, I have been able to maintain an increasing sense of buoyancy. Perhaps it's being jaded, or gaining perspective, or trusting the ability of survivors, or maybe it's a mix. But the news stories this week and the responses to them made an already difficult few days in the field beyond my threshold. I was left full of sorrow. With all the work that has been done, with all the work that I have done, there is still so much further to go. And sometimes it feels insurmountable. 
Gratefully, there are others who are able to hold the hope when we are not able. We gift it back to each other, an interconnected resiliency that allows us to keep going. And this week, the lectionary gifted me with Elijah. The story of the Elijahs is a long one. Elisha, with the S-H, was to become the prophet in Elijah's place. In our reading, Elijah's time on earth is nearing an end, and Elisha is aware of this. Those around him won't allow him to forget it. When Elijah tells him that God has called him to one town after the next, and each time that Elisha can stay behind, Elisha insists on following Elijah everywhere he goes, from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho, until they ultimately arrive at the River Jordan. When they approach the bank, Elijah takes his mantle, the mantle that was used to anoint Elisha when they first met, and he rolls it up like a staff, and he strikes the water, and the waters part. And the two of them cross over on dry land as the people in the face of death had crossed over the Red Sea with Moses before them. As the Elijahs continue walking together, Elisha asks his mentor if before he goes he will give him a double portion of his spirit. Now, a double portion was in reference to what was given to legitimate heirs. A legitimate heir was given a double portion of the inheritance given to others. Elijah's response indicates this may be possible if Elisha sees him as he's being taken from him. So, Elisha trains his eyes on him as Elijah begins to be taken up into a whirlwind and a chariot and horses of fire come between them. He yells out what he sees, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And our reading ends with Elisha in total despair, ripping his clothes in two. What we don't read is that in the moments to follow, Elisha, with the S-H, picks up Elijah's mantle, which had fallen to the ground. And without saying anything, he stands once more by the riverbanks. He takes the mantle, striking the water, and the water parts. And he crosses back over the Jordan on dry land. And he keeps going, passing through all the places that he, he had once been with Elijah, now on his own. This image of Elisha, who keeps going, stays with me, reminding me of the way, an interconnected resiliency that allows us to keep going like a drink of water, or pausing to breathe in the peace of a place, and with it the peace known in all the places 
visited before. The transfiguration of Jesus in Mark is told from the perspective of the disciples. And I wonder if it was meant to help them keep going. A vision so epic, a reunion of Moses and Elijah who appear alongside Jesus, who has become dressed in otherworldly robes, white beyond bleaching. Robes that recall, as Joan taught us in Perspectives last week, a vision in the ancient book of Daniel, a book, in, a book often read by the people of Jesus' time. Out of enduring the oppression by another empire and the devastating loss of a nation came a vision of hope for the people of Daniel. There would be a figure, the son of humanity, who would come and reign forever, fulfilling the promise of a just and lasting kingdom of God. They would be divine wearing robes as white as snow, and their throne would be fiery flames with burning wheels, quite the vision. A vision embedded for the people of Mark's gospel in the transfiguration of Jesus. Assuming that the disciples did listen to Jesus, as God had commanded them to do, and they didn't tell anyone, of this wild day on the mountain until after the death and resurrection of the Son of Humanity, who Mark imagines to be Jesus. I wonder if it was meant to give hope to the people from the other side of the crucifixion. A powerful image of promise to keep them going. An image as scholar Dennis Matson suggests, that mediates beauty and truth in a way that is otherwise limited by empirical observation. An image that brings with it a mood. The kind of disorientation that comes with the foretelling of one's death. The truth that the one being, that that one is the beloved of God, and the stunning luminosity extending out from them, and the encouragement of those who have come before and who are present reaching through time, like breathing in the peace of a place, and with it the peace known in all the places visited before. An image for the people remaining, for Elijah, for the disciples, for the people told later, for us, that we might believe, that we might remember our inheritance, that we might know we are a people of transfiguration. When faced with a rushing river that seems uncrossable, when the distance yet to go seems insurmountable, gratefully, there are others who are able to hold the hope when we are not able. 
we gift it back to each other, an interconnected resiliency that allows us to keep going. One step, one seed, one vision, one kindness, one voice of truth, one moment of empowerment at a time. Amen.